had chosen Joseph to be the leader of the people who would bring heaven to earth. So there's a major upturn in Joseph's life. Well, then Joseph was so excited that he told his brothers about this dream and God's message. His brothers got angry. His brothers got jealous and resentful of Joseph. And so they captured him and they sold him into slavery in the nation of Egypt to a guy named Potiphar, who was the captain of the king's guard. And so this was a downturn in his life. He became a slave to the captain of the guard. So obviously that's a huge downturn. Well, even in the midst of slavery, God was with Joseph. And so Joseph honored God with his, even in his suffering, and God prospered all of the work that Joseph did. So everything he did was successful, and God even blessed Joseph's master, this guy named Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard. And so Joseph was promoted and promoted and promoted to the point where the captain let him rule over all of his affairs. And so I think that qualifies as an upturn. Not quite as high as an upturn because he's still a slave, but an upturn in his life. But the captain of the guard had a wife who tried to seduce Joseph. And when Joseph turned her down out of honor to both God and her husband, she screamed rape falsely accused Joseph, and so Joseph was condemned to the king's prison, which is a big downturn, obviously. But again, God, even in the king's prison, God was with Joseph. God gave Joseph favor and prospered everything that he did and gave him favor with the keeper of the prison, and so Joseph again began to get promoted and promoted and promoted because he was honoring God, and soon he was ruling the prison. So, upturn again in his life. Again, not as big because now he's not just a slave ruling, but now he's a prisoner ruling. So, but still an upturn. Well, then, one day, as Joseph's in the prison, the king's cupbearer, so the guy who tastes all the cups, makes sure they're not poisoned for the king, he ends up being sent to prison. And in prison, the cupbearer has a dream. He's troubled by this dream. And God gave Joseph the interpretation of the dream. And Joseph let the cupbearer know that, hey, listen, don't worry, in three days, you will be vindicated and restored to your position as the king's cupbearer. So this is a bigger upturn in Joseph's life because it was a spark of hope that now someone who is this close to Pharaoh, this close to the king of Egypt, is now in his debt. And as the cupbearer leaves, Joseph says, Hey, 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 don't forget me! Well, the cupbearer leaves and Joseph hears nothing. Days turn into weeks, turn into months, and then even years go by. And the temptation for Joseph to despair is growing. It's growing. Joseph was clearly abandoned by the cupbearer and probably felt abandoned even by God. So this is a significant downturn in Joseph's life where he has forgotten for two years. He's down there with nothing. No word, no message, at all for anything. Well, so two years later, Pharaoh then has a dream that no one understands. And in that moment where the Pharaoh is talking about his dream, the cupbearer remembers, wait, oh, I forgot about Joseph. There's this guy down in the prison. He can interpret dreams. And so they bring Joseph up from the prison. God gives Joseph the interpretation of the Pharaoh's dream. And the interpretation is that in seven years from now, there's going to be the worst famine in history. So zero food. Zero food in the entire nation. 
And so Joseph tells the Pharaoh this is what's coming, but then he also offers a solution to get through the famine. And so because of this, Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams and he is set free from prison. Big deal. But then Pharaoh also chose Joseph to lead the entire nation of Egypt through the coming famine. And so back then, Egypt would have been the lone superpower in the world. And so this would be like somebody becoming second in command of the United States of America, although the president doesn't have as much power as the Pharaoh had back then. And so Pharaoh sets Joseph up. He's now leading the entire nation through the coming famine. He's exalted to the highest place in the land. And so just like in Potiphar's house, just like in the prison, now Joseph, again, is ruling over everything. Okay? And so this is what we saw last week. This is what we experienced last week as we followed the story of Joseph. And here's what was life-changing about last week's message. Because in order for Joseph to rule over Egypt, there were two things that he needed to execute his plan to get through the seven-year famine that was coming. Joseph needed an army, uh, and he also needed... Well, that's just frustrating. It's ever happened to you? You're doing a presentation, these are going great, and all of a sudden your slides fall apart like that. That's just a bummer. No, um, so the second thing he needed, because um, I got my notes, I know what he needed. He needed political intelligence. Okay, so Joseph needed an army. He needed political intelligence to thwart any sort of assassination attempt, any sort of military coup that was sure to come when Joseph um, executed his plan and sort of took over the nation of Egypt. And here's the life-changing thing, that these two things that Joseph needed, an army and political intelligence, Joseph got these two things directly because of the two downturns in his life. It was the two downturns in Joseph's life that were the source of what he needed when the famine hit. So what do I mean by that? Well, his time in slavery enabled him to rule over Egypt because in slavery, he was the slave in the captain of the guard's house. And so that's where he got all of his know-how with, with, um, with, with, the, uh, with the army. Uh, he knew the captain of the guard, and so he was able to interact with, and he developed the expertise that he needed to actually lead the army. He knew what it could do, what it couldn't do, knew how to move the army so that he could execute his plan. And so the slavery was necessary for him to be able to rule Egypt. And then second, his time in prison also enabled him because his time in prison gave him the knowledge and the political intrigue because he was with all of the king's prisoners. These are the people that like specialize in conspiracy and military coups, um, people that would try to assassinate Joseph. And so his time in prison enabled him, again, to rule over Egypt. And so this was the big point from last week. It was in Joseph's downturns, in the worst times in Joseph's life, that God was teaching him what he needed to be able to rule Egypt. Okay? That's the big punchline. Without those downturns, Joseph would not have been able to rule Egypt. All right? And so... What does this mean? This means that when Joseph was a slave in the captain of the guard's house, he might have prayed, God, why is this happening to me? God, what did I do to deserve this? And there are times when God tells us and times when God just says, listen, Joseph, I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. 
I'm not going to tell you this, but you're going to find out at some point that I am teaching you right now how to run Egypt's army, and you're going to need this in the future. And the, this is the absolute best way for you to get the experience that you need. Okay? Now, for some of you, like, maybe God is saying the same thing to you now. Um, for some of you, God's telling you to do laps to get a workout in. But think about this. Think about your marriage. Is your marriage in a downturn? Are you at a place now where God might be saying to you, you know what, I understand where you're, where you're at right now is difficult, but right now I am teaching you something that you are going to desperately need, either for the rest of your marriage or to be able to help with some part of the plan that I've got in store for you in the future. Uh, maybe the downturn you're experiencing is in your parenting, if you're sticking with the family. Um, maybe it's in your dating relationship or in a lack of a dating relationship where God is saying, listen, I know it's difficult, but I am teaching you things right now that you're going to need in order for you to do what I've called you to do in the future. Um, same thing in prison. You know, Joseph's a prisoner in the king's prison, and he's saying, God, where are you? Why is this happening to me? God replies, Joseph, look, I know it's hard, but you need to trust me. You need to trust me. I am teaching you now how the intricacies of political conspiracies and military coups work. You're going to need this in the future, and this is the best way for me to get you this experience. Maybe God is telling you this right now about your work situation. So to me, seeing this is glorious. It's so encouraging. It's inspiring. Um, but Joseph's story doesn't end here. Okay? Because actually, the story of Joseph isn't about Joseph at all. Um, in Genesis chapter 42, which is the next stage of the story in Genesis, in Genesis 42, at that point, Joseph is the sole source of food in Egypt and in the surrounding nations. No one has food, but Joseph and Egypt do because of Joseph's leadership. And as Joseph is feeding Egypt and the world, who shows up to get food? Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers show up. These are the same brothers who were jealous of Joseph, resentful of Joseph, and sold Joseph into slavery. These are the same brothers who were the reason why Joseph went from slavery to prison. And now they have no food in Israel, and so they've come to Egypt to keep themselves from starving to death. Literally. And as the story goes, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. It had been at least 20 years since they had sold Joseph into slavery. Think about that for a second. 20 years Joseph's had to endure and be through this. For 20 years, Joseph has been on this other path that seems so disconnected 
from the original promise that God made to him in his dream that he would one day rule God's family and bring heaven to earth. And so Joseph didn't reveal his his identity to his brothers, but instead he put them through a series of tests to see if they had changed at all. And as you read the narrative, you, you watch it, and the details, they're, they're really, really interesting. Joseph is testing his brothers to see if they're still the same vengeful, jealous, self-centered people that they were 20 years ago. And through Joseph's tests, he discovers that his brothers have changed. He sees that his brothers still carry sorrow over what they did to him. He sees that they still love and honor their father, Joseph's own father, Um, And he he also sees that they have protected Joseph's closest brother. And Joseph was worried that they might have done to his closest brother what they did to him for the same reasons. And they've also become, Joseph sees that they've also become the kind of men who are willing to literally sacrifice their own lives for the sake of others. And so, as Joseph, Joseph's testing them and he's seeing that they're different, he's seeing that, wow, these aren't the brothers that I knew so long ago. And in the climactic moment of this story, Joseph breaks down with emotion because he realizes something about the last 20 years of his life. In this moment, when the story climaxes, Joseph realizes that the last 20 years have never actually been about him. They've been about something so much bigger. So much bigger than him. This, he realizes, is the moment when the dream that God promised Joseph at the very beginning of the story is actually coming true. And Joseph, at this moment, he sees that he is now ruling over his brothers. They're bowing down to him. He has all of the authority. He has all of the honor. They're bowing down to him. And he is going to lead God's family on earth. And in that moment, Joseph is absolutely humbled. He's humbled. He's not arrogant at all. Because that would be the temptation, right? Oh, brothers! I have a list. Let's talk about this. No, that's not Joseph at all. Because He's not arrogant at all because he can finally see what God has been doing all along. And this is what he says. Listen to this. This is from Genesis 45. So Joseph said to his brothers, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now hold on. Don't be distressed. Or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. Would you respond like this? He goes on. Look at this. Look at what he says next. Oops. So, 
it was not you who sent me here, but God. Bingo, done. It was not you who sent me here, but God. You're like, wait, hold on a second, Joseph. Your brothers were jealous. Your brothers were resentful. Your brothers conspired. Your brothers threw you in a pit to leave you for dead. Your brothers were the ones who chose to sell you into slavery. It was because of them that you went down to Egypt. It was because of them that you were falsely accused. It was because of them that you went to prison. Joseph says, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. Can you take this verse to your own lips and say it to some of the people in your life? Sometimes, well, usually all the time, we actually have to say this to ourselves and to God first. Very often, we're not ready to say this to the people that have hurt us the most. Um, this doesn't mean that, that they get off scot-free. This doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. I mean, there's, there's, you know, this isn't a carte blanche complete, like, hey, nothing that you did mattered. Um, Joseph does test them to see if they're trustworthy people. Okay, and so forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation, which is another is a whole another message. But um, but the point here is that we need to go to the Lord um, with our circumstances. We need to go to the Lord with the things that are happening in our lives, and we need to be able to say, God, can you please get me to a place where I can see that you have been working in the middle of all of this. So that I can say, not that you necessarily desired for all these things to happen, but you have been the one that has been working through it all. Joseph goes on and says, he has made me, this is God, God has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry up and go tell my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. And so in this moment, Joseph realizes that life isn't about me. Life is about God. Joseph realizes that God is telling this bigger story. It includes us. God's story includes us. Actually, God's story invites us in. The story God is telling has this consistent invitation to every single one of you to come and to be a part of God's bigger story. God wants to work in our lives. He wants to work with us as our heavenly father as a good good loving and caring authority in our lives so that our lives would result in rescuing others and so even after 
So the story continues, because even after the, their father Jacob died, Joseph's brothers are afraid. They think Joseph, now the dad is gone, now Joseph's going to come, and his retribution will be swift and merciless. And this is what Joseph says to his brothers after his dad dies. His brothers fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph, please don't hurt us. Like, we know now we're toast. Dad's gone. We're at your complete mercy. And they bow down before him and say, We are your servants. We humble ourselves before you. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Hallelujah. Can you take these words onto your lips? Can you say to people in your life, or even just sometimes you just need to say it to the Lord, say it to God himself, but you need to say it. God, they meant this for evil, but you will bring about good even here. Even in this place. Even in this place. We just sang it. Surely our God is in this place. Emmanuel means God is with us no matter where we are. Joseph realizes that his brothers meant evil, and yet in slavery, God was with him and meant it for good. In prison, God was with him and meant it for good. And why? So that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And so their jealousy, their abuse of him, Joseph can still see how God has been at work the entire time to bring about good so that Joseph's own life would rescue people. The rescued become the rescuer. There's one church that I've heard, they say that found people find people. If you've been found by God, God wants to use everything in your life to help you find others. So this is the climactic upturn in Joseph's life uh, when Joseph rescues his family. This is the climax of the story. This is the end of the book of Genesis. This is how it ends. It ends in this like resounding climax. Um, so every month, usually once a month, sometimes twice, I go to Point Loma Nazarene University to have lunch there. Um, I go to the cafeteria, I meet with students, and I support Josh and Berkeley, who are running campus outreach, that ministry there. Um, and I'm really, I, I'm encouraged every time I go. Um, I meet the students, I get to hang out with Josh and Berkeley, and I, it's neat to see campus outreach growing there on that campus. And this week, I'm always surprised, I'm always excited, I'm always eager to hear the testimonies of the students and what God's doing in their lives. Well, this week, I was pleasantly surprised because I met this freshman, um, this gal who said something that actually summarizes Joseph's story perfectly. So she gets quoted here. Here's what she said. Her name's Jennifer. 
Oh, wait. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we saw this, right? Life isn't about me. It's about God. All right. Here's what Jennifer said. We are trees in the story of a forest. That's helpful, isn't it? Like we are trees in the story of a forest. So, of course we matter. Like, of course we matter to God. We are trees in his forest. But the story that our lives are, li- that, that our lives are living is part of this larger story of a forest. And this story that we're part of is so much bigger than us, where God wants to work in our lives so that not just we would flourish and thrive, not just that we would be healthy trees that bear fruit and are planted deeply right next to like running water, right, so that we're nourished, um, but he wants our lives to be such that others would see God's love in us. They would see God's power in us and that they would be rescued. They would become trees in his forest. They'd be planted into Jesus um, and have the gospel and the good news of Jesus flowing in to them. So without this understanding, without understanding that life is not about me, life then is about me. And the reality is if life is about me, then it's a bottomless pit that constantly needs to be refilled. But if your life is about God, then all you need to do is honor him. All you need to do is obey him, which doesn't mean it's always easy. I mean, I get it. It's not easy sometimes. It's sometimes really, really difficult. Um, But when we're honoring and obeying God, that's it. When you do that, you're done. And you can be happy because God is happy. Does that make sense? I mean, if you're in slavery, honestly, like even our own nation, like the spiritual heritage that we have gotten from the people that God has worked with who were enslaved in our country have transformed the culture of who we are as a nation. The spirituality of Africans who became African-Americans have led us in significant ways in our country. Their faith, their hope, their their rock-solid ability to hold on to Jesus in their slavery is like Joseph. Um, So for you, what is your life about? For some people, life is about pleasure or comfort, where literally that's what we live for. To get the most pleasure, to get the most comfort that we can. For others, it's money, it's career. Um, sometimes it's about being in a relationship. Uh, for some people, it's about their kids. Right? These are the ways, the things that we live for. And Joseph's story reminds us that there is a purpose to life, and it's not us. We are not the purpose of our lives. The entire universe revolves around something, and it's not us. There is a throne at the center of the universe, and I'm not on it. Neither are you. The purpose for all things is God. God is the purpose of all things. And so no matter where we are, no matter what has happened to us, it's our call from God to live for him. It's to honor him and to obey him. Because when we do that with our attitudes, 
with our minds, with our hearts, with our actions and our words, when we're doing that, then nothing else has to matter. And when we think about God in an incredibly mysterious and yet amazingly encouraging way, God himself even has experienced this reality that life is not about me. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, because Jesus came as God on earth. And even Jesus' life wasn't about him. Even Jesus was a tree in the story of a forest. Think about this with me. Um, Jesus had to put his own comfort down on the list. He had to put his own pleasure down on the list. He put his own career, he put his own relationships second to God's bigger plan to rescue the world. And so just like Joseph, Jesus experienced radical downturns. Just like Joseph, Jesus was enslaved, but not in Potiphar's house. Jesus was enslaved with the guilt of our sins. Our sins weighed on him like chains. Jesus was imprisoned, not in the king's prison, but he was imprisoned in the grave for our sins. And Jesus wasn't just forgotten for two years. Jesus was forsaken by God on the cross in a way that somehow, again, in the mystery of God's infinite and infinity, Jesus suffered the eternal punishment of God in a finite period of time as God forsook him on the cross. And so even for Jesus, life wasn't about him. And he was God. So he understands this. He knows what he's asking you to do. He understands that he's gone before you in it. And he's suffered worse than you'll ever suffer. And he's suffered in the same ways that you do suffer. He understands what it's like. And because he suffered more, he doesn't look at you and go like, come on, get over it. I suffered worse. That's not what Jesus does. When you suffer, Jesus looks you in the eye with tears coming down his face. And he says, I know it's hard. I know it's hard, but hang in there. I'm with you. And so Jesus' suffering culminated on the cross, but then in the resurrection. In the resurrection, what we celebrate on Easter, Jesus' resurrection was God raising him from the lowest place to the highest place. Jesus' resurrection means that he now has all power and all authority over all of earth. Jesus' resurrection means that he now calls all of us to follow him, to live as he did, to have a relationship with him. It's not just about rules, but it's about being rescued by him. It's about him coming into our lives and building a relationship where we get to know him by I mean, by reading the Bible, by talking to people who know him, by walking with him, by praying to him, by, and, and then we follow after him and begin to experience the life that he's designed us to live. I mean, his resurrection gives him the authority to be able to do that. And his resurrection is proof that God himself will take all of your suffering. He will take all of your downturns. And he will raise you up. 
both in this life and in the next so that you will be filled with the love of God and the power of God no matter what your circumstances are. Jesus' resurrection is proof of that because what God did for Jesus, God promises to do for all of us. And where Jesus was bodily raised from the dead, like this is why it's so important because his bodily resurrection, the people saw him and touched him and they ate with him and he was a body. He went through death and into a bodily existence that's going to last forever as proof that God says to us, as with him, so with you. It's what Chad said to us earlier with that assurance of forgiveness. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. And if you're a Christian, you know this. If you're a Christian, you've experienced the love of God. You have God's love and this assurance, and it raises you up. It doesn't change your circumstances a lot of the time, but it certainly changes you in your circumstances. And so what Joseph was able to do in slavery, in prison, forgotten, he was able to live a resurrected life because he had God's love and God's power in the downturns. The resurrection of Jesus is proof that God is with us. And God will raise you up so that you can thrive, no matter what your circumstances are, in a way that others will be able to see God's love and power in you, and they will be rescued too. They'll want that. I mean, how many people do you know who are in, like, they're, they're turned down inside because of their circumstances? How amazing would it be if you were able to live a life that had a measure of joy and peace no matter what was going on in you, no matter what was going on in your life. Who doesn't want that power, right? That's the power that you get when you realize that Jesus' resurrection means like his victory, and his victory is now your victory. It's guaranteed. It's done. It's in the bank. This is the power of the resurrection so there is one last thing from this story that you need to know and be convinced of. Okay, and that's this. In God's plan, God's timing is perfect. Okay? Now, God's timing is also frustrating. God's timing is mysterious. God's timing is frustrating. is worth saying twice. Um, but God's timing is perfect. Why do I say that? Well, I think I have another slide here. Okay, let me talk to you a little bit about. So one of the downturns in Joseph's life that we didn't talk about was his forgottenness, right? He was forgotten by the cupbearer. Cupbearer, like, experiences this amazing thing. Joseph interprets his dream. Don't forget me, please, don't forget me. He was forgotten for two years by the cupbearer. Dang, that sucks, Right? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If the cupbearer had remembered Joseph right away, Joseph would have been set free from prison, presumably. Joseph would have gone back home. And Joseph would have died along with his entire family in the famine.
dead. Not ruling Egypt. Dead. The famine was still seven years away. No need for a dream interpreter at that point. Think about this. If the cupbearer had remembered Joseph, I'll say it this way, if the circumstances of Joseph's life worked out the way Joseph wanted them to work out, Joseph and his family would have been dead. Can you receive that this morning? I know for some of you it's been two years. I know for some of you it's been longer than two years. God's timing is perfect. God knows every time he has to tell you no, every time he has to tell you to hold on and wait. God knows what he's doing. He knows, I mean, I think it pains and hurts his own heart to know how much it hurts us to be frustrated by God's timing. And God does it because he knows what's best. He knows what's best for us. He knows what's best for our family. And this just wasn't any family. But if, because if Joseph and his family had died, that was the death of God's family on earth. That's the death of the family that God chose to bring heaven to earth, to bring about his blessings. And so we need to, so God, um, God wants to tell you today, this is the reason why this story's in the Bible. It's one of the reasons this story's in the Bible. It's because God wants you to be able to read and open the Bible and say, God, where the hell are you? Why aren't you here? God, why is this so frustrating? And then you can read a story like Joseph or you can come to a church that's going to preach on a story like Joseph and God can say, listen, do you hear what I, do you see this is how I am? Do you understand that this is the wisdom that I have? Will you please trust me? Just hold on. Just hold on. I know it's hard. I'm teaching you and I'm also working out circumstances so that your life can actually rescue others. I want your story to be part of this bigger story. So this is, I mean, frankly, this is why the church exists. The church exists so that you and I can get to a place where we can respond to our lives the way Joseph responded to his. Because if you're like me, you forget this. <laughs> if you're like me, you get frustrated and angry with God's timing. I mean, all of us do. And this is why we gather every single week. Like worship is an opportunity for us to remember life is not about me. It's about God. It's an opportunity for us to dig into the Bible and remember that God has a bigger plan that we get to be a part of. He knows what he's doing. And he actually will use the downturns in our lives to give us his love and his strength so that we can be the kind of people who can rescue others. And this is why we gather every week. This is why every week people gather in our life groups. 
because you know what? This sometimes isn't enough. For most of us, this isn't enough. Most of us, including me, need to sit around with other people and remind each other that life is not about us. Um, even just this last week, um, I met a guy who, a good friend of mine, he's been a pastor at some other churches in the city. He's not pastoring now, and he's been through a lot. Like the churches that he's been through have um, sort of chewed him up and spit him out. And, you know, I, I just, we were just talking. We were setting up a time to have lunch. Um, actually, we weren't setting up a time to have lunch, but he was telling me, I was asking him how things were going. He was like, yeah, they're going okay. And I said, you know what? We've been talking about the story of Joseph. And I just gave him like a 30-second spiel on the downturns leading to the upturn. And his eyes just sort of brightened. And he goes, hey, can we get together sometime soon? <laughs> he wants to talk more about Joseph. He needs that, just like I do, just like you do. This is what happens in life groups. In our life groups, as we, we separate out as guys and we talk and we encourage each other. We tell each other about the downturns in life and we lift each other up. We pray for each other. Sometimes we have reminders and encouragements. Sometimes we actually have answers and wisdom, but sometimes it's like, crap, I'm, let me just pray for you, you know? Because one thing I do know for sure is that God is with you and I want you to experience his presence. I mean, this is what we need. Um, we need constant reminders of Joseph's story. Um, and we need it from each other because oftentimes I am not strong enough to remind myself of the truth that I need. So this is Joseph. This is the encouragement that his story is designed to be for us. And I hope, um, I just hope you remember this story. I hope that somehow in the last two weeks, God has written this story on your heart for you and for others. Because um, you need to remember, this is how God is. This is how God works in all of our circumstances. Life is about him and his bigger plan. Um, but there are people in your life who desperately need to hear. And if people ask you questions like, I don't understand this. I don't get this. Why is God doing this? You may not even have answers for them. But you can say, you know what? There's a story in the Bible that might help you. And just tell them the story of Joseph. And as you tell them that story, let God's spirit visit their hearts and give them the hope and the strength that they need. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for stories like these encouraging stories that lift us up because they find us in the hard places. They find us in the confusing places. Um, send your spirit and the presence of Jesus himself to each one of us, both here who are Christians and folks who aren't. And help us to see, Jesus, that you understand and that you have suffered in ways so that we won't have to suffer that way that you've come to set us free. Draw near to us. Give us your strength and your love, not just for us, but for others as well.